It's interesting. You can tell a lot about people by how they walk. Uh, if it's like this, we'll know something's up. Uh, there are, though, uh, I, I love watching people. You can learn a lot by people just by looking at them. And I don't know whether you've ever sat at a coffee shop or maybe in the mall. Uh, you know, you sit across this, I sit across the street in my living room sometimes on Mondays on my day off just reading and, and look out the main big, uh, big picture window in our front uh, at the high school and high school students interacting and coming and going. You can tell a lot about people by the way they walk, by their gait, by the way they carry themselves. Uh, my daughter has been in ballet for the last little while, and you go to these recitals, and you can kind of tell which students have been in ballet for a while by the way they walk. Ballerinas kind of have that foot-angled-out kind of a, a walk, and they hold their hands in a certain way, and there's that elegance. Yeah, and that's without any lessons on my part. I can do that. And, and you know that that's somebody who's got some, just the way they carry themselves. Uh, as I sit in my living room, interesting enough, and look outside, uh, I, I wouldn't even have to see the top of a person, and I could tell a lot about them. Some of them walk not quite like a ballerina, but, but like this. And this is, um, this is the, what you've got, is you've got your hi- hips kind of, trying to make them big, and you're, so the pants don't fall all the way off. And there's a certain, there's a certain walk, right, that, that comes with that, the kind of low rider kind of walk. Uh, there, there's, there's the, uh, and I'm not going to do this one, but there's that kind of that, that model on the runway walk where, you know, there's just that, that, that way they carry themselves that, you know, this person knows how to walk a runway. Uh, you've, you've got charades is a great game because you've got to communicate something without audibly speaking it. And, and if you've ever had a, had a, a card given to you or something at a, at a charades game and it, and it says something Hmm. You can you can kind of do the, and you got the kind of the mon- every monkey gorilla type deal ape type. It's just that certain way of carrying your and get it right away. Um, there's these uh, the way people carry themselves and the way we walk tells a lot about who we are. It, it really does. Um, Sean will have some fun in the months ahead uh, and the years ahead teaching another new child uh, how to walk. Uh, and, and we're grandpas and grandmas and we're uncles and aunts and we're older brothers and sisters and we're parents in this room. And who hasn't had a little child hold their fingers as you've tried to help them along learning to walk for the first time? I mean, the joy, the, the encouragement just by default. The, there's no criticism to babies. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> what? No, turn your heel. Keep your ankles rigid. Let's go. You know, we don't do that. It's just by default. We encourage. And there's joy in teaching someone who's so young how to get around in the world in a new way. Uh, and it doesn't only happen in, in the physical, but it happens in the spiritual as well. Uh, we're in the midst of just really starting out the second week of a, a sermon series that's going to take us up to Easter. Uh, this is, this is the, that, as I mentioned before, this kind of this high holiday in the Christian church. This is what, in, in essence, we're all about. It's the cross. It changed everything in history. It changed eternity and eternal destinies for many of us in this room. It's the cross. And the the title of the series is Living in the Shadow of the Cross. Living in the Implications of the Cross. Living in the Aftermath of the Cross. Because the cross has changed everything. Uh, Jesus, we're going to, by the way, be in Romans 
chapter 6. So if you want to find Romans chapter 6, and either in the Bible you brought along or on your, on your phone or uh, in the Bible in the chair in front of you, do that. Um, but I just want to read a little bit out of John chapter 3 to start with today. It's a conversation between a guy named Nicodemus and, and Jesus. And, uh, and it says this in chapter th- or verse 3 of chapter 3 in John. Just records a little bit of the conversation. Jesus um, is saying, I tell you the truth, no one, can, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And this sends Nicodemus for a little bit of a loop. He says, in essence, wait a minute. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter in a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Uh, and Jesus answers, like, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and we know this. But spirit gives birth to spirit. For many of this room, we've been born again, born a second time, born in our spiritual lives as well. And, and as part of that, we need to begin to learn how to walk in the spirit. Learn how to walk with this new spiritual life. God's spirit has come and filled our lives. It's changed our eternal destiny. And we need to learn how to walk in this. And so Gerald did a great job last week of looking at the function of faith and how faith functions as he began to look at Romans chapter 6. And today we're going to investigate this idea of, okay, we understand how it functions now. How are we to walk it out? How are we to live in this new faith that the cross has provided for us, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus has made available to us, this born in the Spirit, now begin like a babe to walk in the Spirit. Uh, And so let's just spend some time, let's actually back up for context to the first verse of Romans chapter 6. And uh, and then we'll run in, I'm going to focus on verses uh, really 5 to to 10 today. But just for context, let's jump into chapter 6 verse 1 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? Um, and we were baptized into his death. For we therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And Gerald's taken this and walked us through it last week, the implications of this. And let me jump in in verse 5 here, where, where I'm going to begin. And it says, If we have been united with him, Christ, like this, in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we now also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And verse 11 kind of gives a little bit of a conclusion to this thought. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Let's take a minute to pray and uh, let's kind of push into this. Lord God, thank you that you are alive and well and working in our midst in these days. For some of us, we are in days of jubilee and joy right now. Uh, For others of us in this room, God, we are desperate. We've been undone and our hearts are heavy. And yet I thank you for your promise that you are the God who comes alongside and comforts. And we pray, Father God, this morning that your word might comfort us, that your word may encourage us. Holy Spirit, that you would give life to these words. And Lord, in that, we would learn how to walk by faith in life with you, Christ Jesus. So this morning, Holy Spirit, come and teach us and guide us into all truth. We pray this by the power and in the name and for the glory of your Son, Father, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you're an underliner. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mark it up underliner guy in my Bible. Uh, and uh, it's one of the reasons I, I live with a very, very tempered, small fear, but a fear nonetheless of ever losing my Bible. It was given to me way back when I was in high school, back on my 17th birthday, it says on the front page here. And my dad apparently gave it to me, it says it right there. And I can't remember this, but I just by faith read that and go, I believe it. It's part of the Bible, therefore I believe it. It says it, I believe it. Uh, and, um, and I love marking it up and writing in it and making notes in it. And uh, man, if I ever lost this thing, I'd have to start all over again. But that would that'd be okay. Uh, and so I was underlining stuff in here this week. Uh, and in verse 5 through 11, I, I took the time to underline, and maybe you want to do this as well or just note them visually, every place it says the word we. And so I underlined if we. Uh, and I underlined for we. And I underlined that we. And now if we, and again, for we, and we believe. And so I underlined every place it talks about um, this connectedness. Me and Jesus. Myself and the body of Christ. We. And then I underlined it every place it said, with him. So united with him. Again, the next, united with him. I crucified with him. Um, and raised with him, live with him. I underlined all the with hymns. This idea of, of being united with, with connected, bonded, uh, in it with Jesus. And then I, every place it said the word in. This, again, this idea of connectedness. So it talks about in Jesus Christ, uh, in his death, in his resurrection. And so I, I, I just circled, underlined all of these things. And man, this, this passage is just full of relationship. It's oozing of connectedness and togetherness. And, and this is really, as we learn to walk, uh, this is the first leg we walk in. We walk with a relationship with our God. It, it's all over this verse, and it's all over, it's all over Scripture. Um, Matthew 11, just a few books back, the Gospel according to Matthew, it, it talks and uh, Jesus is talking about this connectedness, this unity to him. He says this to people who are feeling just undone in life. He says, come to me, Jesus says. It's an invitation. All who are weary, all who are burdened. Uh, do you fit that category this morning? Here comes, here comes the, the promise. I will give 
you rest. Uh, People don't give gifts generally unless they're standing at the end of the the street, something handing out pamphlets. And those aren't really gifts. That's just propaganda. People don't give out gifts unless there's a connectedness. There's a relationship. And so Jesus says, come and I will give you rest, this gift. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. So not only is there this gift of rest, but now there's this invitation to mentorship. Learn from me. Come and join with me. Be yoked with me. Let's travel this road together. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So there's this sense of camaraderie and mentorship and relationship and familiarity with Christ. Uh, Galatians uh, 2.20, one of my favorite verses. Love this bit of Bible. Uh, It talks about, again, this idea of being unified, being unified with Christ. I want to get it wrong, so let me find it real quick here. Didn't put a cheat note where it was. There we go. I have been crucified with Christ. Talked about this. We unpackaged this last week. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's the sense of being united with Christ. My life is forfeit. I now live in Christ, united with him. He and me, there's this connectedness, this relational bit to God. And who's to be surprised at this? Uh, The first sentence of the Bible, back in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. And that word God is, is singular in English. We look at it in the original text, and it's actually plural, I mean, it's correctly translated singular, but it's plural. It's, it's this perfect unity of, uh, and it's the first glimpse, really, at the theology of the Trinity, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, individual, and yet so perfectly pure in relationship that they're singular. And so correctly translated, in the beginning, God, singular, but the essence of that is this, this relationally connected, perfect relationally connected, God, the Lord. And that's why verses later it says that they created humanity, man and woman, in our image. And they use, again, that that plurality coming out. The relational God wants to have a relationship with his creation. No surprise, no shocker there. Uh, And and in Acts, when uh, there's this sermon uh, to the, the masses on Mars Hill, in Acts chapter 17... Uh, it says, uh, a quote of a, a, a pop culture poet um, that, that Paul talks about in his sermon. He says, for in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. I love that. For in Christ, we live and we move and we have our being. This relational connectedness to the Father through Christ the Son, in the Spirit's empowerment. So beautiful. This is the first leg we walk on. And relationship can be two things. And it definitely comes through this. On one hand, it's organic. It's alive. It's changing. It's, it's moving. It, it matures. It, it's organic. 
And it's this organic relationship and this organic walk with God. Uh, it's, it's emotional. It's, it's filled with love and hope. And, and not surprising, God has created us as emotional beings. And so for him to connect with us emotionally just makes sense. And so it's about love and feeling. And re- some of our relationships are like that. At the beginning of relationships, often they ooze that, the warm, fuzzy feeling stuff. And there's also, though, on the flip side, this mechanical, um, and in the best sense of the word, this, this sense of duty and religious walk. It's these, these spiritual discipline habits we get in. So even when the warm fuzzies aren't there, we still walk them out. And that's a good thing. Sometimes I don't feel in the morning like getting up and, oh, I'm going to spend time with Jesus because I'm a pastor and that's all I do. You know? Sometimes, life just, I don't wake up on the right side of the bed. And yet I get this habit of grabbing my Bible, opening it up, and spending some time reading. And for better or for worse on a given day, letting that influence my life. And and that's a habit. That's a duty. That's a religious, spiritual discipline. But sometimes I need that. When that organic, relational, feeling, warm, it's just not. And both are necessary and both are good. And I wonder if you took a litmus test of both of those in your own life and your own faith walk right now, where you would end up on both those. Is it to balance? Is it tilted one? Is it tilted to the other? too much one way, too much the other way can cause significant problems. And yet there's a balance in those that God would seek us to have that would cause us to walk that out in faith. There was a contemporary of, and the name escapes me, his name escapes me for the moment. Um, if somebody knows it, they can, they can yell it out. But uh, there was a contemporary of Billy Graham who started preaching with him back in the day. And, and uh, he, did somebody say it? Yeah, yeah. What's his last name? Templeton. Yeah, Charles Templeton. And, and he ended up falling away from his faith. He ended up becoming an atheist, as, to my recollection. And there was an interview done with him shortly before his death. And one of the questions that was asked to him, as I recall, was, what do you miss most? Or do you have any regrets? Or would you change anything? And the thing that he said was this. He said, and as the story I read depicted it, kind of welled up in a bit of tears and said, I just miss God. It was a completely emotional answer. It wasn't, I miss church gatherings. It wasn't, I miss Bible studies. It wasn't, I miss, and these spiritual, it was, I miss God. The Father had captured his heart in such a way that even though cognitively he said no, his heart still longed for something that he had tasted. The organic, uh, the mechanical kind of part of our walk. And that balance between the two. Um, As we live by faith and walk out this new life with Christ as a little baby, and we grow in our maturity as followers of Jesus, one of the legs that we walk on is relational connection with God. And, and, and I mean, this is a daily thing. I, 
it's, it's, we've got an incredible opportunity with the 24-7 prayer week that's upon us that's just about to kind of kick off tonight. We've set aside a couple times a year, ideally, for the last few years, this, this week-long time where we can come in one-hour shifts back-to-back to this particular building, room we've set up uh, with lots of resources there, and by, by ourselves, with a group of friends. Maybe it's, it's loud and celebrative. Maybe it's quiet, humble, and pondering. It really doesn't matter. It's your time to express your heart to God through art, through silence, through reading out loud scripture, through writing prayers out, whatever it would be. And you get to practice and learn how to pray by praying. But we do this every day, whether we have a room set up or not. And it's such a good exercise to get in this regular rhythm of prayer. Uh, reading scripture we've talked about. Uh, re- uh, repentance. Many of us wouldn't think, oh yeah, one of the regular spiritual disciplines I want to have in my life is repentance. I mean, we wouldn't deny, you know, that's a bad thing. We wouldn't say that, but... I was talking to a friend of mine, Sam, who just got back from being in, uh, in Asia and, and in some of the African countries. Uh, he works for a missions organization. He was over there just touring, and we were chatting at length on Friday. And he said, you know, we've got so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in Africa. And I say, I hear that all the time. And I always want to ask the questions, what can we learn from them? And I often get some great answers from different friends who spend time in there. Uh, in that, those, those nations and those countries um, and that continent. And he said one of the things he said, particularly uh, from his last uh, trip, was just that repentance. He said, man, i just been to so many gatherings when I was there when the body of Christ would come together. And whether it was a leadership person or whether it was somebody from the, from the crowd when the time was appropriate and released to do so, is they would just, man, I just, I have got an attitude of judgment this week on this situation or this person and I just need to, before my brothers and sisters in Christ, I just need to repent for that. And he said it was amazing how that would unlock the door to people just saying, you know what? Gossip this week. You know what? Slander this week. You know what? Theft this week. You know what? Uh, adultery of the mind. Maybe literally, whatever. And then people would just lay out their sins, and not to air their dirty laundry or for shock value, but just really say, you know what? I need to repent for my sin. And with often, he said, just tears flowing, they would just lay it all down before God and one another and say, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I may try to walk out the spiritual life, but I stumble and I fall. And I said to Sam on the phone on Friday, I said, that's so good. I said, it's so good. Um, thank you for that. Um, and this is part of walking out our faith something I'm growing in, I need to do more and more of. There's a story of a little boy who grew up in a city uh, that was filled with people who knew nothing else than having a large iron ball chained to their leg. I mean, this is how everybody in the city walked around. They all had these balls and chains. You know these balls and chains you see in the old movies with the old prisoners and it would, it would be on there to keep them from fleeing because this thing weighed so much they wouldn't be able There's an interesting walk, isn't it? Charades. What's that? I don't know. It's a gangster. I don't know. Not a rapper. No, it's a dude with a ball and chain on his leg. And, and this was just normal. for Everybody had a ball and chain. This is how people lived. And it wasn't a very fast-moving 
city, as you can imagine. People took their time getting places. A lot of people didn't go to places because they just wanted to bother to pull this ball up or drag this ball behind them and get somewhere. But the kids, in particular this little boy, with a heart of adventure, one day wondered to himself, what, what's beyond these walls? And so he decided in his heart, I'm going to go on a day of exploring. And he decided to head for the main city gates And when he got to those gates, some of the elders said, where are you going? And he said, I'm just going on an adventure. And they said, be back by dark. We don't want to come looking for you. It's too much work. Find this kid. And so he said, okay. And he took off as fast as you can take off when you've got a ball and chain around your ankle. And he traveled across the fields. And he traveled across a stream. And he headed into areas that started to have woodlands. And he just was amazed by all the things he'd never seen because he'd always stayed in the city. Because it was just more convenient and more familiar and more just user-friendly for this situation he found himself in. That was just normal life. Nobody went outside. And something caught his attention. Something caught his eye that day. He saw another boy. Well, there was something different about this kid. There was something weird about this kid. There was something just abnormal. This kid was running. And he didn't seem to be carrying anything. In fact, this guy with the ball and chain, this little boy, was pretty sure he saw that kid climbing one of those trees. Something he couldn't do. Something he'd never done. And so he ended up connecting with this boy. This boy saw him and they came together and they started talking and they introduced themselves. They started chatting as kids do. And eventually the attention turned to this ball and chain and the boy said, what is that? What are you wearing that for? And the young man from the city looked at him, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What, this is just, what do you mean? I don't know, this is just how it is. And the young man who was dancing and running in the field is like, no, you have to live like that. I don't live like that. I was wondering, I was going to ask you, where's where's your accessory? And the boy said, well, I don't have one anymore. How did you get rid of it? What do you mean you don't have one? Everyone has one. You mean I have one. I want to see the key maker. The who? The key maker. Who's the key maker? Who makes keys? Shocker. And he made a key and he, he, he actually removed the shackle from my leg and now I don't have to live with this ball and chain anymore. And this just blew the mind of this little boy. I mean, he'd never heard of anything so ridiculous and scandalous and upside down before. Well, he noticed the sun was starting to set behind some of the trees and thought he'd better get back and so he took his journey back to the city and the other, it's good you came back. We weren't going to go out looking for you. Too much work. And back home he went. Well, he got in this habit of heading out and exploring and rendezvousing with his new friend on a fairly regular basis. And eventually the time came, the story goes, that he met the keymaker. And eventually the story goes, the keymaker actually made him a key and unlocked and took off his ball and chain. And that was an incredible day for this kid. He had never walked without before. In fact, it was an incredibly weird feeling because he was used to all the weight and so he almost had more muscle in the one than the other and he just like, woo! It was like featherweight now and he just, he, was, he had to learn to walk again. It was incredible. For the first time that day, he went for a swim. Swimming's not easy when you've got a ball and chain around your ankle. 
often will end badly. This kid had never done it before. He went swimming for the first time. He climbed a tree for the first time. It was an incredible day for this kid. And then the sun began to set. He thought, I need to get back. And so he refastened his ball and chain and he headed back to the village. And this was his rhythm. And it went on and it went on and it went on. And this story, on one hand, is a story of freedom. And, you know, you hear this, this unlocking and this running and swimming and climbing and your heart kind of leaps inside you and you go, yeah, that's right. And yet it's tragic because every day he put it back on and walked back into the familiar and the safe. And he never really knew what it was like to walk without the slavery of this sin. Um, We tend to sometimes do that. We live not in full darkness of sin and not in the full light of our freedom, but in that kind of shadow lands where we kind of back and forth. Jesus talks about this. Mark chapter 8. There's this city uh, and he and his friends enter it and there's this guy there who is blind and it's a place called Bethesda and some people bring the blind man and they beg Jesus to touch him, to set him free from his blindness, to heal him. And Jesus does a real strange thing, first of two real strange things he does to this guy. He takes him by the hand and he leads him outside the village. Which is kind of a mean, uncomfortable thing to do to somebody who's blind. I mean, they've got every single street figured out for how many steps it's going to take from here to there. They're used to being able to put their hand up on the side of a building and kind of guide their way. They're used to the smoothed out streets Uh, compared to being outside the village where it's rough and there's hills and there's rocks to trip on and there's nothing really to get his bearings on. Jesus took him right out of everything that was familiar out of the city. And with this guy's sense of direction spinning, (coughs) Jesus, I suppose, maybe got his attention and had him turn to face him. And I don't know if you want to close your eyes and just imagine this, but you're surrounded by nothingness because you can't see anything and your ears are super sensitive. And Jesus says, hey, look at me. And you kind of turn to hear the voice. And the next thing you hear is, <coughs> which would kind of set you off. What's, excuse, is he clearing his throat to talk? What's good? And then you, and Jesus spits in the man's eyes. So this is strange. I, I'm imagining seeing this. Uh, and okay, uh, disciples are like, that's new. We got the whole praying out demons. I was spitting the guys. Oh. When he had spit on the man's eyes, he then put his hands on him. Uh, and I don't know whether he put them on his eyes or his shoulders or what. But Jesus asked, do you see anything? And this is where we know this guy hasn't been blind his entire life. Because he says, I see people. Apparently he knew what people looked like. And he says, and they look like trees walking around. So he knows what trees look like. So apparently, if the miracle was for healing, he's only halfway there. Or he's got spit in his eyes and he can't see clearly because it's all kind of 
You could, uh, huh? Everything looks kind of blurry. Uh, and so Jesus, and that could be a good theory because Jesus puts his hands in on the guy's eyes and then they were opened. Uh, and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So Jesus sends him home saying, don't go into the village. So apparently home wasn't in the village. And he says to the guy, don't go back to the village. That place where you wandered around in darkness, but everything was comfortable and you had it all figured out. Don't go back to the village. Um, Some of us really want to go back to the village. Christ has set us free. I mean, we're reading in Romans right there. He says that anyone who's died has been freed from sin. We've died with Christ, baptized into his crucifixion and his death, so that we may be raised with him into new life. A leg that's relationship and a leg that is set freedom, is freedom and set free from slavery. This is how we walk in relationship and freedom. Relationship and freedom. And that so many of us and that freedom leg have got something attached to it that we just feel comfortable and familiar and habitual with and we walk with a limp and we don't even realize it. Um, And my question on that is, the litmus test in the first one was organic and mechanical and which one's more and is there a balance there? The question on on this leg is, is, is there a limp? Is there something that continually just trips you up that you've become so familiar with you don't even notice it anymore. But when it's out, it's going to take the whole body out of alignment and cause other problems. God wants to say, I want to realign this. I want you to release this so that you can walk in total freedom. It's death, just not to sin. It's just not kind of hurt or kind of punch. It's like death. (laughs) Done. Finished, dead, not there, not zombie, dead, gone, finished, not crawling on the ground. I gotta get you. No, done. And yet some of us go, okay, come on, come on, Rover, let's let's go. And we, because we're, it's that's that village. Jesus says, don't go back to the village. And so as we walk into this next week, um, I want us to remember that. When babies are learning how to walk, we hold them. And we're overjoyed at their new adventure of, and their new skill. And, and even when they're fumbling around and, and their ankles are flopping over and they're falling down and stuff, there's a joy in us. And there's an understanding that maturity's coming. And they'll get there. And there's encouragement. And may we take that same approach into the spiritual as well as just the physical world. That when others are limping and hurting, we'd say, can I help and hold and support and encourage you in that? That we would have a spirit of championing rather than criticism. Because it comes so easy, doesn't it? Um, There's an interesting question. And I want to end with this. Just a a question. Uh, John, 1 John, Chapter 2. I've discovered this, it says here, August 13th, 1991. It's a good question, uh, or a good statement, and, and I, I like it. It says, this is how we know we're in him. This is how we know we are in Christ, this relational connection. again. It's how we know we're in him. 
Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Relationship, freedom. 